Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode of Stuff They Don't Want You To Know is brought to you by Alienware. During Dell Tech Fest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor. Featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Plus, build your dream setup with great deals on select gaming monitors, mice, and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at Alienware.com deals, you'll have access to leading-edge gaming technology to conquer the competition and free shipping on everything. Amazing prices await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com deals. That's Alienware.com deals. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Alexis Codename Doc Holiday Jackson. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. That makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. And fellow conspiracy realists, we, your faithful correspondents, are returning to you from some time on the road as we were uh, pursuing the Hoover Dam the intricacies of casinos and other things. A uh, lot of lot of other strange events occurred. It's not just uh, it's not just you folks. It's not just us. Many extraordinary events are in play. Uh, you may have heard some scuttlebutt recently about multiple children going missing in Ohio, particularly in the Cleveland area. Turns out that might be a little bit of sensationalism. You may have heard about uh, an artist who got a little big for their britches over in Denmark. <laughs> and uh, that part is true. Uh, you may have heard about a massive raid on an occult terrorist sect also in Europe. That part is also true. But one thing that you need to know immediately, if you are in the United States, is about the Gulf Coast. And perhaps that's where we start with one of our absolute favorite cities. Yes, Nolans or New Orleans. Nola. Yes. Um, yeah, but really we're starting with water. You like water, right? We, we talk about this on the show quite often. Water's pretty good. It it's does a mid. lot of things. Yeah, yeah it's, it's mid. It does a lot of things. It's in the things you like to drink, usually, uh, no matter what it is that you're drinking. Um, you know, it sustains you. It mm -hmm. is most of you. It makes the things grow that you eat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's pretty good. Water. Actually, you know what? I think water might be tops, Ben. It's the number one. Thank you, Matt. Nice, nice dunk on that alley oop. Yes, sir. Uh, water is by far the primary thing the human organism needs to survive. You can go about two weeks if you're human without uh, without ingesting solid food. Your timeline for existing without water is much abbreviated. It's a it's it's a huge thing. I was looking at 
on Instagram, you guys may have seen it. I was looking at this, uh, this map of uh, where to move in a 100 or 50 to 80 to 100 year timeline. And the Great Lakes region is probably one of the best here in the U.S. simply because of that massive amount of potable water. Oh, yeah. You know, I just came around to regular water recently. I didn't know. It's so good. It's it makes so you feel good. good. It's yeah, refreshing. It's very good. You know, a little ice, add a little ice. It's a game changer, fellas. Now, Dang. some cultures say that if you add uh, ice to the water, if you drink cold water, it will create stomach cancer. That is scientifically untrue. No offense to ancient Chinese medicine. However, however, if you start, if you have the ability, start the day with a nice glass of water. And to Noel's point, the ice is just mm, chef kiss. You know, uh, I did hear though that for exercising, room temperature water is better because I think ice cold water can like dry you out or something. Or at least that's what my no exercise buddy told me. Too bad. I'm still taking the ice. Uh, all right. So, guys, water's great. We're talking about a lot. Fresh water in particular. Water mm. that is not from a sea or ocean that is salinated and has a whole bunch of sodium incorporated in with that oxygen and hydrogen. Uh, th- because this, the fresh water is the stuff we can drink, as, as we called it potable there earlier. Yeah. Um, so, in rivers that flow through uh, the United States and every country, but we're going to talk about the U.S. ones, particularly the Mississippi River, the big old river that kind of divides the country. You often hear, maybe if you don't live in the United States, the terms east of the Mississippi or west of the Mississippi. That is because this is a huge river that pretty much runs the entirety of the contiguous United States. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a lot of volume of water within this river that flows. Uh, And that's a great thing because that water not only historically provided transportation to the cities that grew along that whole uh, corridor there, but it also provides drinking water, fresh drinking water that gets, I guess uh, we would call it processed at water processing plants all throughout that area. And it can get, you know, piped out essentially pretty far to other parts of uh, the U.S. and to cities and small towns and things like that. But in every instance, you still have to clean that water. It's not like it's completely fresh, right? There's going to be microorganisms, pollutants, things that have to come out of there. Sure. So that's a huge volume of water flowing through the, the not the center of the country, oh, kind of over to the east, but flowing through the country. And what it does, it's really, it's fascinating, guys. As it's providing all that stuff that we need, it goes all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico, right? And that Mm -hmm. is where the water kind of flows out into the ocean. There's a problem right now, though, a really, really big problem. There's not enough water flowing through that part of the river right at the end as it enters into the Gulf. And the salt water, if you imagine an invisible barrier, right? Mm-hmm. If you've ever put oil and water into a container and you can see the two different liquids there, mm-hmm. uh, and the, one, the oil sits on top of the water, imagine that, but with salt water and fresh water, except instead of it being horizontally, like laying on top of each other vertically, it is horizontal, right? Fresh water is coming in. Let's just imagine from your left-hand side, salt water's coming in from your right-hand side. Now, if there's enough fresh water pushing against that salt water, then you've got kind of an equilibrium, right? And not a ton of the fresh water spills out and makes an impact on the ocean. Not a lot of salt water pushes in towards the river and has an impact on the river. But because there's not enough water, basically pressure pushing up against the salt water side, the salt water is doing this crazy thing where in a wedge form, it is pushing itself underneath the fresh water into the river itself and moving upstream. Mm. And you may think, oh, that's not that big of a deal, right? But uh, Oh, that's not that big of a deal, right? <laughs> but Ben, uh, Noel, what are some problems that could occur if salt water is going underneath and flowing up the river? Saltwater intrusion, perhaps. Exactly. Freshwater supplies, like the, I think what happened, and we actually learned about this from our tour guide at the Hoover Dam, this thing called the Salton Sea, 
in California that uh, was basically contaminated by salt water that caused it to kill. Like if there was a giant fish kill, messed up the whole ecosystem there in this town that then became kind of a weird, creepy ghost town. Mm-hmm. Now imagine this water, that same problem, right? Because it is affecting things, freshwater creatures that live on the bottom of that riverbed, right? And there are a lot of those. Uh, they can't survive in the salt water, so they probably die. Uh, also, if you get enough of it and it pushes far enough into the river, the salt water starts going into the intakes that feed water processing plants, the stuff that makes potable water for you to drink from a tap. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Those processing plants can't process salt water. It doesn't work. Right, because then they would be desalination plants. Exactly. It would be a whole different facility that you would have to build to process that water. Which are very expensive. I think prohibitively expensive in some cases. People are always asking, like, why can't we make drinking water out of the ocean? Because to do it at scale, I think, is incredibly uh, complex and, and expensive. Yeah, it's a huge thing. You have to come up with a plan. How does this? How does the investment into building this plant actually get does it pay for itself is it through taxes over time how do you do this whole thing Mm -hmm. uh every time i think about that i think about the toll roads on the highway 400 here in atlanta uh, because it had there had to be a way for it to pay the highway to pay for itself and it was through a toll well that's a success story though that is a success story in this case though we're talking about imminent salt water that is currently right now as we're, we're recording It is moving up the Mississippi River. It has already affected several places that are uh, several places in Louisiana that are immediately on uh, where the river meets the ocean, basically, to where they cannot use any of the water coming out of their taps for anything. What several parishes in the area have had to do is just drink bottled water. And we are talking already now for weeks and weeks that they've been having to do that. And for anybody outside of Louisiana, a parish is a county. Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, I should have mentioned that. <laughs> um, let, me, let me just read a bit from this Time article from September 24th, 2023. It is titled, What to Know About the Saltwater Threat to Louisiana's Drinking Water Supply. You can find it right now. Here is a quote. New Orleans Mayor LaToya Cantrell signed an emergency declaration for the city of New Orleans. Now, why? Because New Orleans isn't that far away from the parishes that are already being affected here. And we're talking about some smaller parishes, not that they are not important, right? There are human beings there that are being affected by this. Every one of them is important. But if a city like New Orleans, their water supply gets affected, you're talking about 800,000 people or more. So just continuing here. Uh, That is an emergency declaration for New Orleans, as well as for other areas of the state, including the Plaque Mines Parish, which is one of the first ones to be affected, as well as Empire Bridge in the southeast. Those are the places that are currently under that drinking water advisory uh, that says, don't drink your water. Instead, take the bottled water. Um, And uh, authorities are attempting to make fixes here. Guys, when we were at the Hoover Dam recently, we learned about a new governmental department that I was unaware of. What's it called? Bureau of Reclamation. Bureau of Reclamation. Mm-hmm. It only matters if you are on the western side. Of? The Mississippi. Exactly, Ben. Uh, this is so cool that these kind of came together here. But if you're on the western side, it's Department of Reclamation. Uh, at least to my understanding, and maybe this is wrong, on the eastern side, My understanding is the Army Corps of Engineers. Maybe there's like some cross-pollination going on there that I'm Mm. just unaware of. Mm. But the the Army Corps of Engineers and other city officials and other um, crews are out there attempting to fix things here. But how do you fix a ton of salt water creeping underneath a riverbed like that? It's a good question. It's a question the Middle East quarrels quarrels with as well. Yes, one of the solutions, guys, is to build something. Uh, it's kind of like a levee. It's not exactly the same thing as a levee. I think it's called a sill, uh, but something that would be a physical barrier that's placed on the seabed itself to prevent that seawater, that salt water, 
from being able to move forward. Basically, almost like a mid-water dam. It's kind of a strange concept, but it works if you think about, again, those two layers, right? Mm -hmm. And as that saltwater is underneath the freshwater pushing in, if it's, a, if it's got a barrier there at the bottom, it just can't move any further, except it currently is moving further than the sills that have been put in place. Question. Yeah. Uh, not a hydrologist. Is, is salt water, is brine or whatever, is it more dense? Then fresh water, is that the way that the salt, is that the result of this horizontal or the, sorry, the origin point of this horizontal barrier? Like if you are walking by the Mississippi today mm -hmm. and you, for some reason, just take a hat, a palm full of water from the shore and drink it because you like playing the dice or mm -hmm. whatever, uh, then would it taste of salt? Like is salt water heavier? Is that why it's at the bottom? That you know what? Oh gosh, I feel terrible saying this. I do not know. I think I think it is because it, it displaces. I mean, you're, you're more likely to float in salt water, so right. there's like a the displacement quality that, yeah. to it. So mm -hmm. that there you go. That must be it. I'm sorry for just not knowing that, guys. Uh, but uh, the my understanding of the reason why it creates that wedge underneath is because of the the water is moving down the river right towards the ocean, mm -hmm. and it spills basically over on top of and over the ocean water that is coming in. Um, and it, which is weird to me because you, I would imagine there's tremendous pressure from the ocean pushing the water in, mm -hmm. but then there's also tremendous pressure pushing the water out from the river. And, and not as a non hydrologist, I don't fully understand the science there, but the big, the big thing is volume of water from the river is not enough because there have been drought conditions all along this area. If there is not, I think, the, I think the statement from, gosh, I think this was from WDSU. It's an NBC uh, local channel there. It was a story about the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and constructing that sill. They mm -hmm. were talking about they needed an estimate, an estimated 10 inches of water in total in just in the immediate area to get enough volume of water pushing down the river to stop the saltwater intrusion, to stop basically water supplies from being cut off in New Orleans and then moving further up. So what of the people, the city of New Orleans, what does this mean for them, Matt? It means don't panic, but maybe buy some of those water filters that we just talked about with the casual preppers guys. Mm. Uh, uh, sorry, if you don't know that, Ben and I were recently on an episode of the Casual Preppers podcast, and they put us on to a specific water filtration system, something mini that I can't quite recall. They said it was similar to the life straw, but it had a, the filter lasted a lot longer. Literally, that's something you could do, like just in case if you wanted. And also uh, on on the note of casual preppers uh, to our our buddies out there, uh, Noel, you're very much missed. Mm -hmm. Shouted you out. Do check out the episode. This is a good way to tease it. Uh, do check out the episode in which we talk turkey about best water filters. Life straw is a little bit overpriced. I, I missed you guys too. I was on a little family trip, but sounds like an awesome conversation. And uh, I don't know why I don't own one of these things yet. We're going to be drinking out of puddles before you know it. You know, it's coming. Oh, yeah. It's the, it's the Sawyer, I think. That's it. That was it. That's the model? or that's Sawyer like Mini. Okay, the Sawyer it, Mini is the best one in terms of affordability. Anyway, Matt, I didn't want to- What are we talking, to... by the way? Like hundreds or- last, No. Like, like, like $20. $20. Bucks? $20, okay. $20 US. Uh, Everyone Matt, should have one. Matt, I didn't want to derail us there. But no, do no, check no. out the episode, as, as you were saying, or the interview uh, with those guys. Hopefully, they can come on our show later, and you'll we'll all get to meet them here. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, but here is here is the thing to keep in mind, according to the Army Corps of Engineers. Do not panic about this. Be careful of where you're getting information from. Because the Army Corps of Engineers dealt with this exact thing in 1998, uh, mm -hmm. because there were crazy drought conditions, saltwater intruded, they dealt with it. They put the sills in. They, you know, they've learned a lot of lessons already since then on how to combat this thing. But doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. Doesn't mean there's not going to be major problems. But uh, I, I guess just follow closely what's being said. 
the weather forecasts as of right now are not calling for a bunch of rain that's going to mitigate this problem in the near term. But And they need 10 inches of rain. Yes, 10 inches, which is a lot. Uh, I guess we'll just kind of have to wait and see. Just be, you know, I guess just be aware if you're living in New Orleans or any of the surrounding areas. What happens if you drink salt water? Probably bad for you long term. Not going to kill you, but like it's not going to do what water is supposed to do and probably may even like dehydrate you. I, I'm asking. I'm just kind of well, conjecturing. Well, it, it can be really, really bad for you and your health if you've got something already like hypertension or, you know, things that uh, that sodium in your bloodstream could affect you right? Elevated levels of any of that. It's not going to keep you all nice and thirsty. It will kill you if it is your source of hydration. If if that's all you're getting, that's it. But I mean, if you drink a glass of salt water, you're probably going to be okay unless you have a major problem, right? What's that line? And I forget who it's from, water, water everywhere and not a drop to drink. The idea of being like lost at sea, that would suck. Yeah. The irony yeah. Would, would, alone would kill you probably. Yeah, that's a horrible situation. Okay, uh, we've gone long enough here, guys. Uh, for more information, do just Google search the term saltwater, that's one word, intrusion, and you can learn all about this. Okay, we'll be right back with more strange news. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the game with nada, yada, yada. That means no contracts, no credit checks, and no surprises. Outsmarting yada, yada means, uh, you know, taxis and stuff. Shady subscriptions. Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but then you found yourself subscribed? Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay. And even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was uh, tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying. Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life and you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada, helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Before I found Zigazoo, I believed all social media was inappropriate for kids. But I feel great about my kids being on Zigazoo. Videos are moderated by actual people before being added to the feed. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about mean comments on your kids' videos. And you need parental consent before joining Zigazoo. Bottom line, it's a space that prioritizes data safety for kids. Oh, but don't take my word for it. Zigazoo is KidSafe COPPA certified. So weigh everything Zigazoo has to offer. Maybe you'll zigzag too. Zigazoo, a social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. And we're back with more strange news. This one comes from the often absurd, occasionally interesting world of high art, fine art, conceptual art. I think we're all art lovers here, but, you know, a banana taped to a wall. Uh, I don't know how that qualifies as art. I mean, I guess it's it's an open conversation. Like, what is art? It's a conversation that's been happening for a long time. Many, many hundreds of years. Uh, one person's art is another person's 
flaming pile of garbage. Hmm. Um, we have seen stories, for example, of uh, folks selling invisible works of art for thousands of dollars. I believe that was uh, a recent thing where there were like these conceptual sculptures um, from an artist that were being, you know, sold for high amounts of money. And then, of course, we've got the whole NFT boom. There's another story that's top of mind that I'll just briefly mention. NFTs are now effectively worthless. So that art slash cash grab movement seems to have been deflated <laughs> almost entirely. That's uh, horrible. I know. Who knew? Who saw it coming? Um what we're talking about today is it, it, can crime be art, gentlemen? Yeah. I mean, you know, you always hear about the perfect crime or like the perfect heist. I guess there's some artistry to that, you know. But is is it possible to in an act of crime encapsulate something that could be considered an artistic statement or a, a form of protest, perhaps? Well, uh the Danish artist seems to think so. A man by the name of, uh, I think Jens, I think a J is silent, a soft in, in Danish, uh, Hanning, who was paid around uh, $70,000 US or 532,549 Danish kroner, which has always been one of my favorite types of currency, just to pronounce the kroner. It just sounds very intense. Um, and they instructed him with this, these funds to make a piece of artwork using cash. Because I believe he had done this in the past. He had done sort of like a exploitate a comment on the exploitation of workers using like making canvases covered in like collages made of cash. So they wanted him to do that again. And he, I think, was planning on doing that. But then he decided, you know what? I'll do you one better. I'm going to deliver you some giant empty canvases and I'm going to take your money and I'm going to spend it on stuff for myself. <laughs> and how'd it go? <laughs> That's the statement, really? Sorry. That's the statement. Sorry, Ben. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, the, the project uh, or the work of art is titled Take the Money and Run, <laughs> which is what uh, Hanning did. Uh, it did not go well, despite the, uh, you know, universal liberality of the Danes and their open-mindedness towards all manner of, of interesting interpretations of art. Uh, they did not take kindly to this because apparently, you know, the, um, they, they, they were, they had paid him to do a thing, you know, to do this job. They wanted him to recreate two of these earlier works. One was called an average Austrian year income, um, which again is, is like a piece of art that involves uh, notes of currency. Like, almost, like, laid out like a flag. Like, from a distance, you might think it was, like, a Rauschenberg or something like that. It has, I don't know, it has an interesting quality. It's sort of like a Warhol or it's repetitive images, but it's literally just cash. And there's a couple of empty spaces on the bottom right. Again, could argue for or against that being a, a valuable work of art. And then another one called an average Danish annual income, um, which very similarly featured bills. Uh, this one's larger. But again, it's it's all the aligned bills and then a, a, a kind of an empty column at the bottom. So I don't know why. It's literally apparently the number that is the average Danish income and the average Austrian income displayed visually. So you can kind of get a sense of it. It's, I don't quite get the message, though, because to me, maybe I'm just not, I'm not European, so I don't know the value of these bills. But if I'm looking at it, it seems like a lot, but I guess it's not because I'm looking at it all in one place. Um, Maybe that's the point. But I also think that in general, isn't basic income better in Austria and and, uh, and Denmark? <laughs> Certainly that it is in the United States. Seems like things are generally a little more equitable over there. But got to have something to protest. So that's what they were expecting. That's what they had paid for. He decided, though, uh, I love this. He has this to say. I saw from my artistic point of view that I could create a much better piece for them than what they could possibly imagine. Uh, I have created an art piece, which is maybe 10 or 100 times better than what we had planned on. What is the problem? What is the problem indeed? Uh, so the museum is suing him uh, to get back that money that they that they paid him. Um, his whole point, though, by the way, was that the, the spending of the money was itself the work of art. Sure. It has yeah. an observer. The definition of art is something with an observer. That's right. Uh, and appreciation. And uh, Noel, could you tell our fellow conspiracy realist the extent of what he turned in for those uh, 
U.S. equivalent seventy grand? Like, how uh, did he turn in a bunch of blank canvases? Two. Two okay, well, that's quite, more than one. Quite, quite large. That's true. Two quite large, empty, framed canvases. And, you mm. know, first of all, I want to say frames are expensive. Sure. So you think they would have given him a little credit for just the framing job? It's a pretty nice bespoke looking frame. Arguably, the whole thing's a frame job. Well, hey, hey, well, well, well put, Ben. Um, but I don't know if you've ever been to like even like Michael's or something to try to get something professionally framed. It can be quite expensive. You can pay $500, but pay more for the frame than you do for the work of art, which is definitely what's going on here because contained within that canvas is absolutely nothing. Ben, I believe you referred to this as a tabula rosa uh, type uh, situation. Absolute blank canvas, nothing to it. Um, so, so they're very upset. They, they did display the art briefly. Doesn't really, it's not really clear why they took it down. Uh, it says here in this article from uh, the Smithsonian that the, by the way, the museum is called uh, the uh, Kunsten Museum of Modern Art in Denmark. Kunst being uh, German and Danish word for art seems kind of redundant. It's the Art Museum of Modern Art. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. kind of funny. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, they, they did display it for a bit. It says here uh, they, you know, they put it out under the, an exhibition titled Take the Money and Run. But, oh, but it says when they, should, they, they did it like a normal show. Like, I guess you would typically do an opening and then the sure. show would stick around for a while, mm -hmm. um, usually, you know, a couple of months. But that, it's not clear quite how long it ran. It says, but when the show ended uh, and he made it clear he was not going to return the money, they did file a lawsuit uh, for... I guess it's breach of contract. And he puts it this way um, when he spoke to the reporters for, for the Smithsonian. Uh, it's not theft. It's a breach of contract. And breach of contract is part of the work. Um, <laughs> and yeah, the court did give him a little bit of a credit. Six thousand uh, dollars, which they referred to as compensation of the time the gallery displayed is his work. Um, but they have ruled. And I believe he is going to appeal. Uh, there's a four-week appeal period uh, window. Um, and as long as the case is still up for potential appeal, the art museum, does the representative for the art museum, does not plan on commenting further. Um, hmm. Okay, so that's that can be the legal proceedings can become part of the canvas, right? Part of the art. That would you be could the argue idea. all of that. Yeah. That's a really good point. Maybe this is all in, in his design and his master plan. He even said, like, I just spent the money on, like, groceries and stuff, you know? And like, mm. you know, he said nothing extravagant. Mm. Um, let's see. Yeah, he said, I'll go so far as to say the piece is that I have taken the money. The two empty frames are actually a representation of the concept. So more important than the absence of money is that I've taken the money. <laughs> this guy's ballsy man i like i kind of love it i kind of hate it i kind of think it's genius i kind of think it's idiotic i i'm clearly very much on the fence about this what do you guys think is this art is this commenting on something of value it's creating a conversation what do you think matt I, i'm fascinated by this okay so i need to know in the artist's original things that were going to be recreated for this fee right we were talking about it's actually looking at the That's money. That's what the money was for. Yeah. They gave him the money to put it on. I, I'm just now clocking that. You're right, Matt. Sorry. Well, but but this is what I don't fully understand. It, they gave him a lot of money. Sure. You know, when you think about physically the bills and yes. that would actually go on there, there was a pretty huge number, right? F 500 something thousand. 532,549 Danish kroner. Yeah. As a material, as like a right. medium, I of don't know what the denominations bills. of kroner are either. So you know, but yeah. still, like that seems like a lot of it, it. It sounds like a lot of stuff that you could use to create a thing. Sounds sure. very intricate to me. Sounds mm. like a lot of work. Sounds mm. like you know all this stuff. It does feel like it, his. What what is this? What did he say? His statement was: "What matters is that I took the money." Yes, right. So I, there's something to that when it comes to either taxes and fees that Danish workers have to pay when they make their, what is it? I think it's a average $45,481 per month before taxes, mm -hmm. you know, but then somebody just takes your money. It's of course the state, it's your, it's the government that takes quite a bit of that money. So in a way, like maybe if it's a statement on taxes, 
I think you could swing it is what I'm saying. <laughs> I will also defend the I, I will defend the philosophical position of the artist. Furthermore, uh, this is a very clever way to create, again, a continued conversation, which is all art is uh, in the human experience. It's going to be interesting. I love the point about the coupons of currency as a physical medium, right? Like if you like if someone collected a montage of leaves, that's sort of the same thing. There's just a value assigned to these specific pieces of uh, linen and paper. The idea, to Noel's point, uh, the idea that there would be um, this would be part and parcel of a participatory artistic exhibit ongoing, right? Some sort of performance art. Perhaps it was, and not to sound too Ocean's Eleven or too conspiratorial about it, perhaps this stuff getting pulled out from the museum, perhaps that was the goal all along. To be completely fair, uh, I, I am of the mind that the museum probably put this up and got mocked got bad press and so took it down unless there's somewhere in that RFP or somewhere in that uh, grant proposal, there's something where they said, we'll put it up and then we'll manufacture a controversy about it. I don't know. I'm of two minds. What do you guys think? I'm with you. I, I do think that like the extension of the work is all of this coverage is the potential fallout is the court case and whatever precedent it might set. Oh, I thought you were going to say whatever groceries he got. Yeah, whatever groceries he got, maybe he could tape them to the wall, and that could be his next uh, exhibition. You know, I'm not trying to be a. Dick. I get that, like the high concept art is interesting and sort of like, in some ways, can be iconoclastic or like you know punk rock, but kind of a little over overkill to me. Like a lot of the stuff that you'll see at Art Basel or you know some of these super high endy kind of art uh, events. Sometimes it's just bullshit, you know, I mean, in my opinion, and like, you know, my, my kid and I went to the Detroit Institute of Art recently, and so much of the work in there is just beyond incredible. And then you'll have occasional works that, you know, just kind of like big splatters of block color and stuff. And I've never personally gotten those, you know, without some sort of like artist statement or historical context. A lot of times those things just kind of fall a little flat for me. Um, and they are the kinds of things that one might say, well, I could have done that. Anyone could have done that. And then the response is, well, did you? No, you didn't. So I get that argument as well. Oh, I heard a similar conversation in the Prado in Madrid looking at some Picasso work. There was this older guy who was like, I could have done that. And there was this kid who was maybe seven or eight, clearly not the adult's child, who said, yeah, but you didn't and you won't. It's true. And, you know, and a lot of these folks that like Picasso, for example, classically trained painter, he, he chose, he created an aesthetic that was very much by choice. It's not like he he drew like a kindergartner because that's all he could do. I'm, I'm joking. I think Picasso's work is incredible. I love it. It's, it's, it's moving the forms, the energy that it captures. I'm a huge fan, but it is a choice in an aesthetic style. And oftentimes those types of artists, you know, can do like photorealistic painting. They're trained in all of that stuff. To me, sure, it's a visual voice. Yeah, it is. And, and to me, a lot of times, stuff that falls squarely in the camp of performance art, I think it can be really meaningful and moving and interesting. But I think it also can be really pretentious and obnoxious. And I, jury's still. Do out you for find me those to, mutually exclusive? No, that's a good point, Ben. No, I, they they are not mutually exclusive. But sometimes things can be gallingly pretentious to the point where you're just like, "This is uh, offensive to me." You know that you would expect me to pay for this. You know to even to view it or to give it my time. A lot of cool stuff to look at. But again, I, I need to think about this one. It's an interesting story. But I think if you guys don't have anything to add. Um, we could take a quick uh, break, hear a word from our sponsor, then come back with one more piece of strange news. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. 
the all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the game with nada, yada, yada. That means no contracts, no credit checks, and no surprises. Outsmarting yada, yada means, uh, you know, taxis and stuff. Shady subscriptions. Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but then... You found yourself subscribed. Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay. And even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was uh, tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying. Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life. And you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada, helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zigazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Zigazoo is moderated by real live people who review content before it's posted on the feed. Oh, <laughs> I especially love the dance challenges. So much fun. Oh, and there's no comments or messaging, so you don't get any of that negativity that's all over other social networks. All my friends love it. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Uh, that's great, but I wouldn't be doing Zigazoo if it wasn't fun. She would not be doing it if I didn't think her data was safe. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids! <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. And we have returned one last piece of strange news amid all the other very strange things that are occurring today. <sighs> Some neo-Nazis got arrested in a massive raid in Germany. That's where our next and final story takes us. These neo-Nazis are part of an occult organization, not dissimilar, Matt, to the Anerbe. Ananib. How do we say it? I don't. I think we said Ananerbe. Ananerbe. Yeah. Ananerbe. Is that, is that it, Noel? Yeah. It is. Yeah. Former young German boy. I don't know if So, so <laughs> this group, uh, let's play the reindeer games here. Uh, Art Gemeinschaft? Art, yeah. Uh, how do we do the Gs? No. That's it. That was it. Art oh. Gemeinschaft. Yeah, you Go. nailed it. Absolutely. Uh, thanks. Could have put a little more stank on it, but you... you, you Thank <laughs> you. Well, Doc, can I get an applause cue anyway? Uh, I need it. Yeah, I'm at the edge. But the uh, the German, uh, German police force carried out a massive raid on this network. And this network is a private group but this raid went across the entire country. Uh, it is a far-right group that the German government and the various European press agencies, including The Guardian, describe as a, quote, cult-like, deeply racist and anti-Semitic association. And the reason they finally got popped is that they sought to indoctrinate children with Nazi ideology. Now, of course, fellow conspiracy realists, we don't want to ever sound like we're being willfully ignorant. We don't want to ever sound like we are talking down to anybody. But if you are listening to this podcast in English, then you know why Germany is a little bit sensitive about the anti-Semitic Nazi stuff. Yeah, if you've ever been to a German museum, many of them are founded by, you know, uh, famously anti-Semitic folks, mm -hmm. uh, and, and they do a really good job of owning that history. 
you know, in, in the plaques and, and, you know, placards throughout these types of places on the museum island in, in Berlin in particular, but, you know, all over the country. It is, there's a word for it too. I think if we're getting into fun German words, there is a word for the collective grief and guilt over Nazism in Germany, and it is called Bewangenheitsbewaltigung. It just refers to a collective looking back and acknowledgement of the past, uh, specifically in terms of, of what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah. And thank you again there. You know, uh, the, this was a, maybe not necessarily unprecedented, but uh, it, it was a phenomenal use of German law enforcement. So German officers stormed 26 apartments belonging to 40 different members of this network. And they're in 12 different German states, all the hits, Bavaria, Brandenburg. The association is, you'll, you'll hear a couple different things depending on the news sources. Uh, BBC Global News did a piece about it, and they said there were around 300 members. The association per The Guardian has around 150 members, but these are all interlinked. They're all Venn diagrams of far-right uh, organizations of one sort or another. Wow. It's weird for me because 26 homes belonging to 39 members, even if it's across 12 states, doesn't sound like that much of a blow to a movement unless, you know, there are really 150 members in total, right? But I'm, uh, I'm 150 to 300. Right? Okay. Okay. Got you. Depending Sorry. on how many children they have brainwashed. At the yeah, time of recording. Which is really the danger, right? If a child is never able to escape uh, uh, that lens, as we were talking about the other day, Ben, like, because the idea, an ideology like that taught to you by parents or adults in your life is something that later can be changed or removed, but that takes time and almost like um, reprocessing, what, kind of almost, right? Yeah. Do, what is that term? Deprogramming is the word. I said reprocessing. But yeah. Deprogramming. Both are correct. You know, this is this is a descendant of some of the ultimate aims of the World War II era Nazi regime. They would function in ostensible step with <laughs> nice. Uh, they would function in ostensible step with Christianity. But the idea was to ultimately replace that religious structure right that yeah. that, that uh, mental paradigm and replace it with something that was you know let's be honest a little less jewish in their eyes something yeah. a little more what you would call nego pagan uh, or theosophic these guys are nasty nasty business they have been linked with um ideologies it's kind of like how most people who ride motorcycles are not outlaw bikers but the yeah. small amount of bikers who are outlaw bikers are super dangerous. Right. I feel silly and uninformed even saying this, but I don't know how closely someone promoting uh, the, you know, the Nazi ideology, if you put that in quotes, how closely tied that is to nationalism, right? It's very closely tied. And that's a, that's a great direction for us to take. You are right in that. It's kind of like not all puzzles are mazes, but all mazes are puzzles inherently. So there are far right groups operative in Germany that are not going to self-describe as Nazis, but they will agree with a lot of the things. You know yeah. what I mean? Uh, it's it's right wing extremism. Uh, and such may create strange bedfellows, especially given Germany's current negotiations and navigation around immigration. Sorry, I'm accidentally freestyling there, but mm -hmm. <laughs> but there's also there's also a long-held, pretty strict state position in Germany, which says that if you are a private organization, you have a right to exist. If you are not threatening other people, if you're not, if you're not doing that stuff that happens with end of times cults where you say, hey, you know, let's all uh, let's all drink the flavor aid 
on, you know, insert date here, then you should be fine to go. However, understandably, the nation state of Germany is pretty sensitive to the rise of extremism, fascism, and of course, neo-Nazi behavior. I, I don't know. Like that's that's where we get to our earlier conversation about whether any books should be banned. I I may be painting with a broad brush, but I'll be honest. Given given strong precedent, I would rather Mein Kampf not be legal reading in Germany. I don't know. I I what I'm saying is this group has been accused by the German government of using a pseudo religious neo pagan ostensible belief in God to spread a worldview that advocates against anyone who is not born in the appropriate demographic. It's interesting. That's I mean, dangerous. I you, you could say that about certain forms of extremist religions, others that exist, you know, like jihadi kind of followers, you know, folks that maybe are wanting to wage a holy war. You know, I don't know, anyone. though, because anyone can convert to Islam, technically. That's true. I, I guess what I'm, I'm I'm just trying to be devil's advocate here in mm-hmm. terms of like, at what point is a, an ideology inherently toxic and evil, mm-hmm. you know, and at, at what point does it require like we've got to take action by removing the ability for certain literature to exist? It's yeah. a slippery slope. It's just it's it. I, I don't know the answer. I just I'm thinking out loud. I think it's a fascinating point. Mm. There's a thing that this group wrote called Confession of Species, in which it enumerates the, quote, guiding principles. They say there is a struggle that is naturally necessary for all becoming, being, and passing away. And instead of the term race, they use the term species or the term art. It's bad medicine. Uh, Part of the reason their membership is so small is only northern-born people may become members. And a lot of, like any, it's like an investment board. You know, when you look at that network, any members of this group tend to also be members concurrently with other far-right groups or neo-fascists. I think they call it the um, the new right, is how it would translate in 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 English, but it's guys, it's so unusual for the German police to carry out a raid of this magnitude. And Matt, to your point, it sounds like a very small amount of people, but I would argue, especially given the rise in right-wing identification in the nation state of Germany, I would argue this is setting an example this is putting the spooky in the bones of a couple of other people who might have been planning some other things. I'm just going to be completely honest on that regard. Well, it sounds like Germany has been banning several of these groups. What, what did, did you mention the other one, Ben? Hammerskinskind? I don't know how to say it. Oh, Rammstein. Yeah. No. Du Hast went to Du Hast went moth. <laughs> Sorry. No, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about this other group that was banned. Well, there's, I, well, I'm not really sure. You linked an Al Jazeera article mm-hmm. in our doc here. And sure. at the very end, it states that as this was being written on September 27th, today, they said last week Germany, quote, outlawed the local chapter of the U.S.-based, it looks like Hammerskins, H-A-M-M-E-R-S-K-I-N-S, yeah, a neo-Nazi group known for its white supremacist rock concerts. And then... And sorry, and then just in tracking down some more information on the art one that we're talking about, um, there's an there's several like it's interlocking organizations or organizations that have connective tissues mm-hmm. to them, um, like several others. One that's roughly uh, translated to family association. Um, <laughs> sure, yeah. Seems like there. Well, I guess my whole point of this is that it seems like Germany is taking steps to at least officially ban these groups, and then actually stop some of the prominent members. Yes, up to and including a little bit of pre-crime, if we're being honest, because there is a long history of powers to the East using 
those groups, which again are private entities, using those groups as a means of asymmetric conversation, you could call it. I don't want to call it warfare, but it's an easy way to get inside things. And Germany may be maybe cracking down on these because they finally said, hey, we don't like neo-Nazis. However, I advanced to all of us listening today that there were actionable, concrete operations that they were nipping off at the bud. And whatever it was or would have been was of significance enough that they went ahead and bucked on their own laws as a nation. <laughs> There's a, I don't know if it's a greater good argument or if it's a not again, not here argument because they don't have school shootings at near the frequency of the United States. That's, that's right. And that's, that's true. And, and it, it does make you think is our freedom of speech. Like, does it come at what cost? You know what I mean? Like, cause you could argue that this kind of stuff is sort of a clamp down on freedom of speech, but it seems to be a well-meaning one, dare I say, a necessary one. Um, and, and we just, I think, you know, in the same way that so many constitutional kind of purists just believe that they have to follow the letter of the Constitution and stuff, it, it is what leads to things like gun violence. It is what leads to a lot of, like, uh, very preventable deaths. And to your, to your point, school shootings and, and, you know, it's so difficult to actually officially shut something down as hate speech because it has to be actionable. And in the same way that you can't say this guy's going to do a crime, police go get him. That doesn't work. They got to wait till the person's already d killed the person. I don't know. I just I, it makes you think in terms of like at what cost is our quote unquote freedom of speech mm -hmm. to uh, to sew this up, which there may well be an episode in this story to sew it up. In addition to the raids, the federal government of Germany has banned the existence of this organization in particular, as well as the many subgroups with which it is attached at least the ones that we know of. Now, the question that people in the halls of power are asking themselves over in Germany is who is a member, right? Who did they not catch? And what are those people capable of doing if they continue uh, to function as though they support the society in which they live? These are questions for another day. There is much, much more strange news on the way, uh, we can't thank you enough, conspiracy realists, but we will try. Thank you. And uh, we hope that you will join us in our continuing pursuit of all the stuff they don't want you to know. Hey, how can I join up? You might be asking yourself, well, we want to make it as easy as pie. All you have to do is uh, wait for an eclipse. No, I'm kidding. We're all over the place. We're on social media and stuff. Oh, I like your your, your thinking there, Ben. Though that could be fine. We should go back to the old ways of communicating, like sending up uh, smoke signals or just giant signal fires. You know, light the torches and all of that. But no, for the for the time being, you can find this at the handle conspiracy stuff on uh, Ixnay on the Itterway um, and uh, Facebook and YouTube conspiracy stuff show on Instagram and TikTok. Hey, do you like to use your phone to call people? Well, you can call us. Our number is 1-833-STDWYTK. It's pretty cool. You just say whatever nickname you want to give yourself, and then you've got three minutes, and you really get as much information in there as you can before it goes beep. And once it does, if you've got more to send us, why not instead try an email? We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. 
featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March. And ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. At-